Everybody say, Happy Birthday, John! Happy Birthday, John! John Thompson turned, uh, can I tell? Huh? Can I tell? Yeah. 61. All right. Yay. See, I'm like that. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Next year, I'm going to do better. younger. <laughs> yeah. Still young. All right. 61 was fun. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get some singing going at 125. Jesus paid it all. Everyone? Robin and Megan and Eric for now. I tried using that and I'm like, I drop it, I throw it. But I thought, well, it might have been handy as a pointer. Yeah, so I appreciate that. Everybody's trying to give me pointers. <laughs> Jessica's trying to give me one of those, what do they call them? The lasers. lasers. And it just, you know, on the screen, it doesn't work. Uh, people don't see it. But. It works on some screens, but not on all the screens, and that's because of the light. That's why. Because we tested it at home, just again. <laughs> all right. Well, let's say 125, Jesus paid it all.
blessed to, to, oh, to be like thee. Oh, I do. Uh, you guys are going to Johnny, you don't have the chords you're going to sing. No. Wait, 202 is not new, honey. 316. Which one are we doing next? What in the world? I think my thing's acting crazy. Um, should be 202 in okay. times like these. I'm okay. sorry. Oh. Yeah, we know that one. Yeah, I got that. I have no idea what Last time I fixed that by just closing the whole app and reopening the slides. I have no idea. Anyway, let's sing. I'll figure it out. I need you to help me. I need you too, man. <laughs> This is the new one. 
and uh, we record ourselves singing it so that we can. Yeah, let's hear a little because we can't remember it. This is how when we sing a new one, we send out a link. Usually, we didn't get to do it this week. Oh, to be like the blessed Redeemer. This is my constant longing and Oh, 
cell phones if you didn't notice that. You guys have to get together and. Uh... Yeah, I, I told Johnny I didn't realize Sean was out again. I thought it was already in motion. Communication is key to a good relationship. Amen. Okay, make a noise now. Do it again. Close it and open it again. The green one's not plugged in, is it? All three cables are connected. Close it and open it again. Go back and see what you do. It might be. All right, we'll be in the book of Acts if you want to get your Bibles open. Acts 13, 13 is where we're going to start. Craig, is my phone sitting at 13? Is it? See it? Okay. Make a noise again. No, it's silent downstairs. I can't hear it. And it's turned on. What about now? It's turned on. No sound. It's turned on on your end. Battery does good. Yeah. Johnny, you might need to. Did you shut it and open it again? Let's try it again. I hear you. Yeah. 
not restart. All right. Just you just got to if, if you're ever using any kind of tech, you're just going to get used to. Yeah, when in doubt, reboot. That's what I did with this. Hopefully, it's uh, going to work. All right. Oh, by the way, onliners, we are going to have communion at the end of the service, and uh, we encourage you. Yeah, I forget. Got plenty of time, though. Right. Maybe we should all go home, go to bed, and come back. How's that? But I mentioned it earlier this week, but uh, we've been very busy. And uh, I'll share some things after we go off the live stream, more personal nature. But uh, anyway, onlineers, uh, we encourage you to uh, use unleavened bread um, and non alcohol wine. The reason we say that is because there was no such thing as Welch's grape juice in uh, 30 AD. And there also, um, the, the uh, sweetness, uh, sugary grape juice kind of destroys the whole point. Uh, this uh, blood and the bitterness of this death. Also, the unleavened bread, if you use leavened bread, it's leaven represents sin in the Bible. So that's why we use unleavened bread, is to represent the sinlessness of the body and blood of Jesus. So with that, um, if you use, if all you have around is uh, grape soda and a, uh, and, a, and a roll, the Lord will not uh, strike you dead for doing that. But we just encourage you to do the right thing when you can. Um, I, there have been stories of people stranded out in the middle of nowhere and they decide to have uh, the Lord's Supper with cheeses and soda. And the important thing is that uh, they are it, with a thankful heart, uh, you know, uh, recognizing the death of Christ and what that death and his shed blood did to save us. Amen? Amen. Amen. So with that, we'll come back to that at the end. But hold your question and comments to the end of the Great Events Update. Now, Israel is still at war as of 2 4 uh, I believe it's day 121. Um, 136 hostages remain in Gaza, and as long as those hostages, I know some people get, well, that isn't a very Christian of you, what I'm going to say, but I don't care. As long as those hostages remain in Gaza, then people should die. Amen. Amen. I don't, you know, that is what the reality of the situation is. Until they give those hostages back, then the, those uh, who are in any way aiding and abetting Hamas are a part of the problem. Amen. Amen. And uh, the battles regarding this situation continue to raise. We mentioned this Wednesday in Gaza, which is uh, down in the southwest corner of Israel near the uh, Mediterranean. The West Bank, which is basically the whole uh, west border of uh, Israel against Syria and Jordan to the east, I'm sorry. The, it's called the West Bank because of the way they're claiming it is part of, it's not supposed to be part of Israel. You ever think about that? It's actually the East Bank. Um, Syria, up north of that, the Red Sea, Jordan, and in Lebanon, uh, IDF struck Hezbollah, which is in Lebanon, uh, yesterday um, because of three attacks that came from Lebanon into Israel. And all these dumb Americans crying about it, 
And if that were happening to any of the nation, countries on our border or anywhere else, if they were shooting missiles at us and killing uh, Americans, we'd be crying for death. But because it's Jews, then a lot of Americans don't believe they have a right to do that. So this is what the battle site uh, map looks like. I showed this on Wednesday. But all those little places where you see the flare-ups, those are where uh, battles are going on. But up in like Syria, there's actually several sites, in Lebanon, several sites. And uh, that's how inflamed that area right now is. And it could expand. I've got the little red siren up there by Iran because they're, they're behind a lot of it. Uh, I, not, I am not necessarily in agreement that we should have war with Iran at this point. I'm in agreement that we should let Israel wipe Iran out. That's what I'm backing, personally. And for the record, I completely agree with those Jews, it might, you might have seen on the news, over in Israel, who are blocking aid to Gaza. Listen, if you have this mentality that, oh, those poor people in Gaza, they need food, they need this and that, you're just brainwashed. You turn off the crap that you're watching. Get back to reality and think if this was happening to you, if it was your relative and loved one that's being held hostage. Would you feed and clothe the enemy? No. No, you would not. It's called war. And so I agree with what's There's going on. There's about 100 protesters that have marched along the port of Ashdod and are now gathering in front of the port of Ashdod, claiming that they have stopped the humanitarian aid. Now, the people here have a very strong message, and I uh, suggest that we listen to one of the demonstrators with whom I spoke earlier. We're in the middle of war. During war, we do not help the enemies, even more so when they have our hostages there, and they're treating them as cruelly as you can possibly treat people. There's no way in the world that they could get any help from us. If they came, they killed, slaughtered. I don't even want to continue the, the description because it's so bad. And how are we going to help them? We are here in the name of all the Jewish people. It's not for us. It's not something personal. It doesn't have to do with me or with you. It has to do with that we're in the middle of a war and we have to win. And winning is that our hostages should come home safely without us helping the enemy at all. It, it, it's crazy. You have to be an idiot to think that giving, to giving things to help the enemy is what's going to help you win the war and get your hostages back. We're not ready for that to happen at any chance. So what are you going to be doing? You're blocking the roads. Right here, what we're trying to do is to make it clear, first of all, that there's no way that we're against it, that people should understand that the Jewish people do not agree with giving help to the people in Gaza now. You have to understand, it's our husbands, my brothers, my brother-in-laws that are fighting there. And to see now, us standing here, trying to stop, I see that we're participating with them in the war to make sure that Hamas don't get stronger. Will we be able to stop the trucks from getting to Gaza? I don't know. But it will be making it clear that we don't want to help the terrorists in any way, Hamas in any way, yes, we're making it clear. And that's what's important. This is Pierre-Claude Chandler at 24 News at the industrial port of Ashdod, southern Israel. I think that lady said it well. <laughs> Give them nothing until all hostages are returned. Amen. Amen. I just, uh, it, things, things are happening in this world today and it just makes you think, what, this world is insane. It's just insane. 136 Jews being held hostage and you're going to feed and clothe and aid and abet your enemy. It just makes no sense.
But we'll leave it there for this week. Number two, of course, the January 6, 2021 uh, uh, Fed surrection. It's a complete sham insurrection. I forgot the other quote there from Mark, but it's a Fed-orchestrated plot in which so-called insurrectionists didn't deploy any guns or bombs. <laughs> Again, you call it something an insurrection whenever they didn't even try to defeat the enemy with anything other than entering into a building that they were invited to go into. Think of that. That's not an insurrection. But what we are seeing is Orwellian brainwashing. And everybody who refers to that legitimately as an insurrection is brainwashed. Or they're one of the deceivers who are trying to deceive you. And then they exited the building like they'd been to a movie or a ball game. As a matter of fact, they probably exited more calmly than uh, a ball game. Uh, because at the ballgame, usually the losing crowd is drunk and rowdy. <laughs> These guys didn't exit like that. Watch this video. This is a video clip. That's how, This is how the people left. Now watch it. Hey, like bottled water? Anybody want bottled water? <laughs> that's, that's supposed to be an insurrection. And everybody's allowed to leave and go home. And they're all waving bye to the police. The police are saying, all right, have a good night. Man, it's worse than 9-11. I mean, all the humanity. <laughs> it's just, it's one of the most blatant examples of the Orwellian brainwashing of the government and the so-called news media they own. And it's just amazing. It's so clear and plain right before our eyes. And the leftists are already admitting that it was a big show. This is a clip from NPR where they talk about how this was all just a big staged event to fool voters. Thompson's committee had gathered a trove of information. The challenge, what to do with it. The one thing that we knew was the information that we have is compelling. The thing we needed to do was tell that to the American people in a compelling way. So that's why we brought in a former president of ABC News yeah, I got a call pretty much out of the blue um, from the January the 6th committee. They wanted, they wanted a storyteller. And while they were brilliant, they were brilliant lawyers, storytelling for a mass audience is not what they do. To bring in a guy like this who would think outside the box really did prove to be fruitful. And it was Goldston who really began to envision this as, in a way, a kind of mini-series, that there would be you know, sort of nine episodes, and that these episodes would tackle particular themes. Attack on the Capitol, the investigation. The first hearing was primetime television. As the nation is about to witness a defining moment, the first hearing before the country, the results of the January 6th investigation. This is an extraordinary moment in American history. When it came to that first hearing, we knew how high the stakes were. Is about to hold its first primetime hearing. We were either going to, you know, make people realize that this was important, you know, or once, once you've lost them, you've, you've lost them for good. On the evening of June 9th, 8.01 p.m., the doors opened. My heart was beating pretty fast on June 9th. And it, it was a real question uh, of, is this going to work or not? 
I'm in this tiny control room right up the stairs from Cannon Caucus. And we count down to to the start of the hearing. And at that point, what can you do? Here we go. In three, two, one. The select committee to investigate the January 6th attack on the United States Capitol will be in order. Without objection. We wanted to make sure that this was a presentation that would grab the audience and hold on to them. Chairman Thompson loved to say, it's got to pop. You understand, this was something produced by the people that orchestrated the whole January 6th debacle, hoax, and yet it's clear they don't realize what they're telling you is it's a big show. It's a setup. And it's all being done to fool people into thinking that in order to save democracy, you have to destroy democracy. The only thing we have in this country that is democracy is democratic elections. And then the elections give us our representatives. And in order to save democracy, these people are going to destroy our democratic elections. Yeah. That's what's behind this whole thing. And that's why right now the Supreme Court is considering the decision as to whether or not to allow states to keep the opposition party candidate off the ballots in those states. Think of that. That's the Marxist government you have today. We are under a Marxist regime. Marxist in policy and Marxist in their operating procedure. Gaslighting is now policy by the administration that is in control of the United States government. Gaslighting is policy. And the Bible predicted, 2 Timothy 3.13, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse Deceiving and being deceived. Amen. You just remember that, that. That's where you and I live right now. Amen. Deceiving and being deceived. We have to make sure we're... Obviously, we're not a deceiver. We don't jump on board with the whole thing. And obviously, also, we don't want to allow ourselves to be deceived. And the only true guard against that is to be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ... Have his Holy Spirit within you. Amen. Be committed to the word of God as your authority for everything that in which it speaks. Amen. That's the only guard you have. Yeah. And when you do that, you won't land on the same side of the fence with sodomites. You won't land on the same side of the fence with Marxists. You won't land on the same side of the fence with baby killers. You won't land on the same side of the fence of all the wicked as long as you remain true to the Word of God. Amen. All right. Be informed and pray accordingly. Amen? Amen. Charlie, would you like to say something? A lot of the buildings that they were in on January 6th are public buildings now. Yeah. So how do they... They trumped up this thing where they were... They said, well, they weren't supposed to be in there. But they were invited in. And they're public buildings. There are people in prison right now who did absolutely nothing physically at the... And one guy wasn't even present. The one fellow from, was it uh, Oath Keepers or Proud Boys, one of those? Yeah, right. And he wasn't even there. 
and they put him in prison. And if for no other reason, I'll tell you this, I, I'm not, I don't endorse candidates, but I'll tell you who I'm voting for. I'm voting for Donald Trump so that he will then pardon all of these guys who were put in prison unjustly by a wicked government. They are political prisoners. That's right. Now, yeah, Brian. If this was actually an insurrection, the people that were there would have shown up with guns, and we'd have a new government right now. Yeah. It's just an amazing uh, facade. I mean, you know, I, I can tell you, even if I wasn't, even if, even if I didn't support the guy, even if it was somebody like, uh, let me see, who... Somebody I didn't, I wasn't supporting like Mike Huckabee or Ted Cruz or any of them. I'd be on their ship right now if they said they were going to pardon these guys. Oh, yeah. Amen. I don't care. Fill in the blank, whatever the guy's name is. If he said he was going to pardon these people and put it into this, I'd be on that ship. Yep. Yeah, just do. Okay. Um, let's see. Let's see. Okay. Keep them from cheating? Yes. There have been some things done, but in states that are run by Democrats and liberals and rhino Republicans, like Georgia, Georgia has a Republican governor, but he's a rhino. How do you keep liars from lying? Yeah. The one thing you can hope is that that only happens in the states that are already gone. And that in the states that are either conservative or purple, as they say, that the cheating will be minimal and that the, the right side will win. But listen, we pray and we vote. Yeah. But also keep in mind, America doesn't deserve it. Nope. America doesn't deserve anything from God at this point. Yeah. Everything he's doing for this country is nothing but grace. Yeah. And so we pray for his mercy. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Brian, you'll be my last one. We're getting I just thought that'd be great Well, that's on. That's another area which I agree with you on. At the very, I'm just talking in a very minimal sense. I, I hope that you're right. I, they, they're saying he's saying he's going to turn on his opponents. You mean like his opponents have turned on him? Yeah. And listen, I, I have never agreed with that. I think that if a, a president and his administration did criminal things, they should go to jail. Yeah. And uh, you know, Glenn, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, Gerald Ford pardoned Nixon and, and some of those people got pardons and things, but a lot of them, they went to prison. You know, Chuck Colson, G. Gordon Liddy, a bunch of those guys went to prison. And I'll, I'll let Sean, you be my last, and we'll go. Good bunch. If I might say something, uh, the RNC this past week has proved themselves to be a fraud. Yeah. They have done nothing to stop the cheating in any of these elections. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, anything that's been done is having expensive hotels and limos and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. And it's run by the Romney people. Yeah, yeah. let's make it clear. It, it's, it's a good point. We are not endorsing either political party. Amen. We, I believe both political parties are rotten. 
and there are some good people on one side, and I used to be able to say there's good people on both sides, but I keep looking, I don't find any on this side. The left. I can't find the good people in that party. Used to be some. Used to be some. What's the guy up in Ohio here? Uh, um, no, he's terrible. I'm talking good people. Remember the guy who's a congressman back in Clinton's era? Uh, no, no, he was Republican. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Traffic camp. Is that it? Yeah. And, you know, he was a decent guy. There's been some decent Democrats there, but anymore, I'm not sure. They all throw like this, you know what I mean? So, all right. Let's open with prayer, and then let's get into our Bible study. And... Uh, we uh, just ask Brother John, on your birthday, would you open the Bible study of prayer? Lord, thank you for having us gather here and preach the Word of God. And thank you for everybody's help. And we pray that Israel will get through this real, real good. And, and I hope that the election next year or this year will not be rigged yes. and yes. we will get decent people in the government. Amen. 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 All right. Acts 13, 13 to 52, titled, We Turn to the Gentiles. And of course, if you've been following along, we've emphasized that that's the theme of the book of Acts is a transition from Mosaic law to the gospel of grace. And this is a big turning point in this book. We close out our study here with Paul preaching to unsaved Jews in synagogue. That's important to nail that down as we'll see. We're going to start by just reading 13 through 16. Acts 13, 13 through 16. Read the even verses. I'll begin verse 13. Now when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia, and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them, saying, Ye men and brethren, if ye have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Then Paul stood up and beckoned with his hand and said, Men of Israel, and ye that fear God, give audience. Amen? Amen? So Paul takes the gospel to the Jews in the synagogue. That's what we're seeing here. Uh, we'll see him at Antioch, Pisidia. That's not Antioch of Syria. It's two different Antiochs. And uh, this one, as we showed on the map, is above Cyprus uh, on the map, outside of the region and his first sermon runs from verses 17 to 41. And then we'll see the response uh, of the Jews and Gentiles and proselytes there uh, in that synagogue and in that city, verses 42 to 52. Let's start here with uh, Saul and Barnabas. Well, I, should, I didn't add his name here, but it's a very important point that uh, John Mark is with them, of course. And verse 13, it says, Now when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, that's a reference to John Mark, uh, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. And his departure is going to come, 
uh, become a point of contention in a couple of chapters, Acts 15. So we're not address that right now. We'll come back to that. And verse 14 says, But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia, and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. That's, this is a very important point. This was not church on Saturday Sabbath as cults falsely teach. There are cults and cultic groups who teach that, see, Paul went to church on Saturday. And they use these references to try to prove their point. He's not at church. He's at synagogue. Things that are different are not the same. A synagogue is not a church. And a church is a local church in the sense of Christians meeting there, and they met on the first day of the week. Now, we're not going to go into detail about that, but that's what we have and we will in a future study uh, cover that. But some of the Seventh-day Sabbatarian cults that you may have heard of, the oldest, by the way, is called Seventh-day Baptist. And that goes back to uh, hundreds of years ago, uh, some groups among the Baptists, uh, before the Reformation, by the way, and they decided, oh, we, we, they misread these texts like we're talking about and somehow decided they would start having church on Saturday Sabbath. Then came along uh, Seventh-day Adventists in the 19th century, and that's the largest group. Now, they started when a guy named William Miller predicted the second coming of Christ and obviously got it wrong because we're still here. Yeah. By the way, William Miller, no relation. But... Uh, he then, he went back to the Baptist group and, and uh, repudiated what he claimed, but a bunch of other people said, no, no, we just think it's a little different than what he thought. And they then developed under a false teacher named Ellen G. White what is now known as the Seventh-day Adventist Church where they believe, among other false teachings, that we are supposed to still keep the Saturday Sabbath, which they don't actually do. Uh, they pretend to keep it, and they have their church services on Saturday. Another group are the Armstrong Church of God. Now, originally it was called the Worldwide Church of God. Uh, some of you uh, old enough maybe to remember when they were a big group. They were on the radio a lot and everything. And Herbert W. Armstrong was the founder. Um, after he died, though, a, a fellow whose name is, I think, Koch is how you pronounce it, uh, he took over and he steered that group toward the evangelical doctrines that all evangelical Christians agree on. Now, they didn't go far enough in a few places. They're still not a group I recommend, but I don't consider them a cult any longer because they preached that salvation is not of works, and they stopped pretending to keep the law and that sort of thing. But then a bunch of those people broke off. and Before that even happened, <coughs> Herbert's son, Garner Ted Armstrong, got caught cheating and committed adultery and all that. And uh, so he left. They said, you can't be a preacher anymore. So he started his own religion. He called it the International Church of God, I think. And so there's several different splinter groups. But I want you to understand there are other Church of God denominations that have nothing to do with Armstrong. Uh, Church of God Cleveland, Tennessee. Church of God Anderson, Indiana. And there's independent churches of God. So just because they call themselves Church of God, don't think that they're all part of this same cult. It's important to just be careful with the information you get and be specific. There's also these Hebrew roots movements. And the Hebrew roots tell you that we've gotten away from our Hebrew roots. We need to get back to it. And they always bring you back under Sabbath and back under Mosaic law. But 
They can't keep the law. We've said this to you before. To keep the feast, they pretend to keep the feast. They pretend to keep the law. You have to have a temple in Jerusalem. You have to have a priesthood with sacrifices. Or you can't keep the law. You can't keep the feast. It's all pretend. They're just play acting. And uh, then you have also Messianic Judaism. A lot of them, I believe, uh, there are Messianic Christians, Messianic Jews are Christians, but a lot of the organizations and denominations that have been founded are very cultic. And some of them are flat-out cults. They preach a work salvation. Some of them uh, deny the deity of Christ. So just because someone says, I'm a Messianic Jew, doesn't mean anything. you got to ask them what they actually believe. Now, uh, the... They call it the Beth Temple, the local one. What's it called? Beth Messiah. Uh, they are a good uh, group of Christians there. We don't agree with some of their particulars, but I believe those are saved people who preach the gospel. But there are other groups that you gotta really watch out for. And there are dozens of smaller groups. So the then question is, well, Sunday's our Sabbath, not Saturday. Well, that's not true either. And uh, all, a lot of the Protestant groups in their statements of faith will say that Sunday is the Sabbath. There's, that's just not true. There's no Sabbath day observation in the New Testament except for under the law. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, until Jesus was crucified, buried, and risen again, you're still under Mosaic law. So there's Sabbath there. But there's no Sabbath after the resurrection of Jesus Christ as far as believers in Christ are concerned. In all the epistles, if you start from the book of Romans and go all the way through Revelation, you know, the book of Revelation starts with seven epistles to the seven churches. And if you go all the way from Romans to Revelation, Sabbath comes up once. You know that? The word Sabbath, do your own search, is in Colossians 2. Turn over there real quick. Colossians, right before Galatians, or right after, I'm sorry, right after Galatians. Colossians chapter Philippians 2 verses 16 17. This is how Sabbath is addressed to Christians in the epistles. Read verse 16 when you're there. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. Look what verse 17 says. Which are a shadow of things to come but the body is of Christ. Amen. The, to, to establish a Sunday Sabbath or a Saturday Sabbath violates that text. And if you, for example, uh, vegetarianism, veganism, it's not a sin until you tell me that it's a sin to eat meat. Exactly. You tell me it's a religious requirement to be a vegetarian, which is, Seventh-day Adventists, for example, go they, that far. They, they are vegetarians and push vegetarianism. That's wrong. That's, that's false teaching. And the Bible says in the last days, one of the things they'll do is forbid pe people to eat meat. The doctrine of devils. Eat the bugs. <laughs> or in drink, it's a sin to get drunk. But when I start adding to God's word and telling you that your friend down there who goes to the uh, other church down the road who has a glass of wine with dinner is sinning, having a glass of wine, you're, you're sinning because you're adding to God's word. Yeah. Respecting any holiday or holy day. I enjoy Christmas. 
I really don't care for Valentine's Day. One of the things Jenny and I agreed on when we got married is we weren't going to bother with Valentine's Day. It's just a, it's just a ridiculous Hallmark holiday, as they call it. Yeah, we have our uh, anniversary. We actually have the ten ten anniversary of when I proposed. And what did you say? I said yes. Yes. <laughs> and then we have eleven nineteen every year is our anniversary of our wedding. And then September 7th and 18th, we have birthday celebrations. That's enough. We're, done. We're good with that. But if you say, well, we go out every Valentine's Day, and my husband just does this, but I'm not fine. See, I'm keeping it biblical. I'm not going to judge you. If you have a, and at least all ball crazy people over here, what is it? You do month anniversaries. You know? That's wicked. I'm not going to get up here and judge them for that. It'd wear me out, but they want to do it every month. And, you know, that's great. The only time we're ever to judge a holiday isn't because of the holiday. It's because of something being done, like when it comes to Christmas. I've said this before. If you go to Mass, that's wicked. <laughs> if you just celebrate Christmas and you have a good time. But if you're doing something, some people get drunk on Christmas. That's wicked. We don't do uh, New Year's, really. Uh, we used to kind of stay up and then kiss and go to bed, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, now we don't even stay, bother staying up for it anymore. <laughs> but if you do, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. We warn people it's a bad day to be out driving. If you go home at 2 a.m., you know, be careful. But uh, that's up to you. But, you know, if I get up here and start saying, well, there's a lot of drunk people and there's a lot of bad stuff going on New Year's, so it's wicked. You shouldn't, do, you shouldn't celebrate New Year's. Then I'm being stupid. See how that works? That's how it's supposed to work. What else is in the list? Right at the bottom. Sabbath days. Sabbath days. If we teach that Sabbath is a biblical doctrine, we're wrong. If we hold you to Sabbath, we're wrong. But I do believe it's a good practice to have a Sabbath in principle. I think everybody needs a day off. I mean, before God established Sabbath law, He took a day off on creation week, on the seventh day. And then later, when He established the Sabbath with Israel, it was on what day? Seventh, seventh day. And that was what He established as the Sabbath. If your day is Tuesday, your day is... A lot of preachers take off Monday. Right? That I don't think that has any... Uh, has any bearing on your relationship with the Lord or anything. But I think if you don't follow God's principle and take a day off, it'll show in your own health, mental state, and so forth. You need some time off. Even Jesus took time off. Amen? Amen. So you know we need to. So that's that. There's no Sunday Sabbath or Saturday Sabbath. That's the only time it's even addressed in the Bible. It's telling you not to judge people when it comes to Sabbath. So Paul isn't attending church here, back in our text. He's evangelizing. You see that? Acts, uh, verses 15 and 16, again, after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them, saying, Ye men and brethren, if ye have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. And Paul says, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I've got something to say. He's then Paul stood up and beckoning with his hand said, Men of Israel and ye that fear God, give audience. Now, 
uh, one of the criticisms I've given a lot of preachers is their, their uh, introduction takes up half their message. And, that, and Paul is a great example here. He, does, he gets right to it. There's no 20-minute, you know, uh, well, it's so wonderful to be here. Thank you. And Brother Fred, we go way back. You know, you know they go on and on for 20 minutes before they even start to teach. <laughs> Some of you know what I'm talking about. So now in this non-Christian setting, think of Paul is standing up and looking at a bunch of people like you, but they're all unsaved people. So he's going to do what? He's going to deliver his first recorded sermon. So let's look at it. Verses 17 to 41. Now, interestingly, Paul begins like Stephen and Peter, taking the Jews through their history. <laughs> it's just, I think it's kind of funny. It's like every time these guys in the book of Acts they get up to preach, the first thing they do is take you from the Old Testament and they start with Genesis. I think Ken Ham had that idea. Back to Genesis, you know. Well, here's his survey. Look at verse 17 there. The God of this people, of Israel, chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt and with an high arm brought he them out of it. So where's he starting there? It's in Genesis. He's starting with, he, he chose Abraham, then Isaac and Jacob. That's all in the book of Genesis. And then beginning at the end of verse 17 into verse 18. And about the time of 40 years suffered he their manners in the wilderness. That's a very short summary of what you read from Exodus through Numbers. <laughs> and then verse 19. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he divided their land to them by lot. That's the book of Joshua. And then verse 20. And after that he gave unto them judges. What book do you think he's referring to there? <laughs> about the space of 450 years until Samuel the prophet what book do you think we're in now First Samuel uh, verse 21 and afterward they desired a king and God gave unto them Saul the son of Sis a man of the tribe of Benjamin by the space of 40 years verse 22 then we move into 2 Samuel and when he had removed him he raised up unto them David to be their king to whom also he gave testimony and said I have found David the son of Jesse a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. And by the way, throw in the book of Ruth, tells you how David got here. <laughs> With Ruth the Moabitess and Boaz. And uh, then come the, the, down the line of the uh, genealogy, Jesse and David. Jesse begat David. So from this point, Paul gets right to the point then. The point being Jesus is the Messiah. Pick up there verse 23. Of this man's seed. Who? Who's the, who's seed? Of this man's seed. Who's he talking about? King David. Jesus is called the son of? David. David. Because he's of the seed of David. According to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior. Jesus. Cut right from David to Jesus. Uh, one of the... Interesting fact uh, uh, points in Matthew 1.1. 1, 1, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's what you just got from Paul in a nutshell. Took him all the way from Abraham through David to Jesus. <laughs> now let's just let Paul explain as we continue reading verses 24 through 41. Uh, 24. When John, John the Baptist 
had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, verse 25, as John fulfilled his course, he said, Whom think ye that I am? I am not he. John the Baptist said, I'm not the Messiah. I am not he. But behold, there cometh one after me, whose shoes of his feet I am not worthy to loose. He's talking about Jesus, obviously. 26, Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. He's in the synagogue, Give them a summary of their whole history. And he said, this is the message of salvation in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Verse 27. For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not. John 1 says, he came into his own and his own received him not. That's what he's saying right here. Nor yet the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath day. They have fulfilled them in condemning him. They didn't know their Bible. Jesus said, if you had known, but they didn't know. Amen. You better know your Bible. People Amen. are always saying, how am I supposed to know what's true and what's false? Who's teaching the truth and who's not? Use your brain. Read the Bible. Keep it in context. Respect the dispensations. It's very simple once you do that. Amen. Um, there are some people who always go to one extreme or the other, but when you find some level-headed person who believes the Bible, has a King James Bible that they believe, they read that Bible, they keep it in context, and they respect the dispensations, you've just found a brother or sister in Christ that you can talk to. Amen. Sadly, when they don't hold those views, you can't go beyond the surface and talk to them about things. A lot of them just look at you and say, well, I don't really believe in that rapture stuff. I think we could be here another thousand years. You're cuckoo. Amen. But why are they cuckoo? It's because they don't understand or respect the dispensations and so forth. So he says in verse 27, For they that dwell at Jerusalem... Oh, wait, well, I read that. Uh, verse 28, And though they found no cause of death in him, they desired that... Uh, Yet desired they Pilate that he should be slain. What do you think Pilate washed his hands? He said, his wife had told him, have nothing to do with that righteous man. I've suffered many things in a dream. <laughs> and Pilate saw he was innocent, so he washes his hands of the whole thing. Verse 29, And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. Tree, I thought it was a cross. What are crosses made out of? Wood. And what's wood? Where's wood come from? Trees. And how much wood could a wood chuck? I'm sorry. <laughs> a whole truckload. <laughs> it's a Groundhog Day joke. I had to throw it in there. But um, verse 29 then says, And when they had fulfilled all that was written, that's referring back to all those prophecies called Messianic prophecies. And uh, right over here by Charlie is a chart with a hundred of them, all fulfilled by one man. There'll never be another man who will come close to ever being able to fulfill those prophecies. It's either Jesus or we're all damned. Amen. But it's Jesus. Amen. Why? Verse 30, but God raised him from the dead. Amen. We serve a risen Savior. Amen. He is alive. Amen. 
Verse 31, And he was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. And you go to 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verses 1 through 6 or 7, and Paul will tell you there's over 500 of those eyewitnesses, and they're mostly all still alive while he's speaking here right now. And so any of these people hearing this sermon from Paul could go out and find those witnesses and talk to them one-on-one. -on -one. Amen. In verse 32, And we declare unto you glad tidings. That's the gospel. Glad tidings of good things. Amen. Amen. How that the promise which was made unto the fathers, verse 33, God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again. As it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, capital S. This day have I begotten thee. See, that's talking about Jesus being raised from the dead. He's the firstborn from among the dead. Brother Chuck mentioned Lazarus. Uh, there were others raised from the dead only to die again. Jesus raised never to die again. Firstborn from among the dead. Verse 34, and as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Verse 35, wherefore he saith also in another psalm, thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. That's an Old Testament prophecy that the Messiah would not have a body that would sit in a grave and rot. He will not see corruption. Verse 36, For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep. David died and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. So he, his body rotted in a grave. Verse 37, But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. So then the conclusion, verse 38, Be it known unto you therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. He's preaching the gospel. Write it down. Verse 39. Write it down. I know it though. Write it down. Verse 39. And by him all that believe are justified from all things, from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. Keeping the law never saved anybody. Amen. The law shows us our need of a Savior. You're not saved by works. As a Christian, you're saved on two good works. Not to be saved, but because you are saved. That's all he's saying here. Verse 40. Beware, therefore. I mean, I mean, did I read verse 39? And by him, all that believe are justified from all things, from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. See, I'm not spending a lot of time going through these verses because it's a message. And his message is clear. But it's a message that even most who claim to be Christian don't seem to get. They still rely on their works. They still rely on their church membership. People come to the end of their lives saying, I wonder if I'm going to make it. I hope I'm going to make it. You're a Christian, you say. He did the work. Amen. You're going to make it because He did the work. Verse 40, Beware therefore lest that come upon you which is spoken of in the prophets. Verse 41, Behold ye despisers and wonder and perish. For I work a work in your days 
a work which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. That was a warning from the prophets to those who would hear the gospel and reject it. Verse 42, And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. How many of you have talked to people like that? They preach, present the gospel. They seem to hear it. You can even see conviction. Let's talk about this again some other time. Now is the appointed time. Now is the day of salvation. You don't know if you're going to be here next week. You understand the gospel. You understand you're a sinner. You understand you need to be saved. You understand God sent a Savior. You understand He died on the cross and shed His blood and paid for your sins. You understand He rose from the dead and conquered sin and death on your behalf. And you understand that if you believe that you can be saved, then you had better do it now. Amen. Put it off for a moment. You're not guaranteed another heartbeat. But, that's what they did. With that stark warning, we see the response, beginning in verse 42. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. So there's a mixed response here. Some of the people believed what they said. Others didn't. In verse uh, 44, and the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. <laughs> so here's the big one. They planted the seeds. They got the, the thing going. And now a week has gone by and they're all gathered again on a Sabbath. Not for church, synagogue. And so things start looking pretty good right here, right? You'd be thinking, wow, revival has come. You know, that kind of thing. Verse 45. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. For every step we've made in ministry, there's always been several who pop up to stop us. There's always people popping up to try to stop what you're doing. Satan isn't going to sit still. You might as well get used to it. If you serve the Lord, Satan is going to have somebody there who's going to try to stop you. The only question is, are you going to let them? No. That's the right answer. No. You should be prepared when you start serving the Lord. When that pop-up hits you, thank you, Jesus. Must be doing something right. Amen. Amen. Don't get upset about it. Be encouraged. Obviously, you're on the right path. If you weren't, Satan wouldn't be bothering you. <laughs> Amen? Amen. And there is the transition. We keep repeating that word, transition. Only a remnant of Jews will follow Christ from this point on. It is sad. The whole church is almost Jewish at this point. Other than Cornelius and his family, the Ethiopian eunuch and whoever he preached to, there were some Gentiles being saved. But by and large, at this point, it's a very Jewish church. That The Jewish church started very Jewish. The Hebrew roots people kind of have a point there, but then they go off into uh, Crazyville. But it transitioned into being very Gentile. I mean, you just look around this building, but 
Almost any church you go to, you look around, you'll only find a small number of anybody of any Jewish blood. It's been that way for going on 2,000 years. And verse 46. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. Talk about the Jews. But seeing ye put it from you, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. Now this doesn't mean they never preach to Jews again. Romans 1.16 was written years after this, and Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first, and also to the Greeks. Now that just meant that when he went into a town, he went to the synagogue, he preached to the Jews. But every time a remnant would believe, the majority would turn against him, and he would turn to the Gentiles in that city. Over and over. It becomes a theme in Acts as we continue our studies. We turn to the Gentiles. But don't fail to notice this phrase, judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. God has not judged you to be unworthy of everlasting life. He's judged the whole human race unworthy. Now the question is, will you receive what He's done to save you? And if not, you're judging yourself unworthy. Now, Paul didn't say, you are not elected to everlasting life. He didn't say, you're not chosen to be saved. That's nonsense and heresy. God will save any who will turn to Him by faith in the gospel. If, If you are unsaved, listen to this. If you know anybody who is unsaved, listening to this, that person is the problem. God is not the problem. It isn't that God didn't choose you to be saved. He's chosen to save all who will believe. If you'll just believe, you'll be saved. And so we come to 47. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And that is a quotation that we'll see in our study in Isaiah 49. Christians beginning with Jewish apostles and Jewish disciples, gave, uh, or they were fulfilling the role that God gave to Israel, but against which Israel as a whole had rebelled. God had the nation of Israel with the purpose of being a light to the world. But most have chosen darkness. And... And as a whole, the nation of Israel rebelled against God and His plan, His desire for them to be that light. That's what Isaiah will see in our study next week, or next couple of weeks. Verse 6, And he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant. He's talking to Israel, the nation, to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. Jesus is fulfilling that and he's using his church because Israel rebelled and refused to be used. But that'll change after the rapture and the church is gone. It'll be 144,000 Jews from the 12 tribes of Israel. It'll be a nation established at the end of the tribulation for a thousand years. The 
King of Israel will rule and reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. It says the whole earth will be filled with His glory. Jesus. Coming from Jerusalem and sprouting out throughout the entire world. Forty-eight, forty-nine. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Now, we don't have time to get into in, in depth, but as we just said, God has ordained that those who would believe would be saved. And those who believed were saved. And that's what, in verse 49, and the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. It doesn't change your free will, the fact that God knew everyone who would believe and everyone who would not believe and chose to save those who would believe. That doesn't change the free will. It just means that God knew beforehand what would happen. And people have gone off the deep end into that stuff and lost their minds, but we're not going to do that. So this is an important moment that would lead to your opportunity of salvation. If Who knows, you know, play the what if game, but we don't know what would have happened, but if Israel would have turned to Christ right here, history would be totally different. And I don't even know, would we exist? <laughs> That's some deep questions there. <laughs> but because this did happen, and because you are here, it led to your opportunity to be saved. It's also the point that uh, they began what we see today. I mean, it's what's led to the situation we're in today and the major hostility of most Jews against the gospel. All this in Acts has the ripple effects and has produced what we see today. Most Jews today are hostile toward Jesus Christ and the gospel. And that's a sad thing. It's a, we're not happy about it, it's, but it's true. But it will end at the end of the tribulation <laughs> when he returns. And as we said in Sunday school, Zechariah said they will look upon him whom they pleased. And so verse 50, but the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coasts. And what we do... Once a Jew or Gentile fully rejects the clear biblical gospel. I want you to pay attention to this. What do we do? How do we respond? When you've preached the gospel clearly, and they have clearly rejected the gospel, well, I've spent my whole life trying to win them. That's not, not according to the Bible, not according to what we're about to read. Look at verse 51. Read it with me. But they shook off the dust of their feet against them and came unto Iconium. <laughs> there have been people that I have prayed for, I have witnessed to, I've got to where I know they have understood the gospel, they reject it, and most of the time when they do so, they become pretty obstinate and push you away. Don't want anything to do with you. What do you do? Get on with your life. Get on with serving the Lord. Get on with preaching the gospel to those who might hear it, might listen, might be saved. And notice that in spite of many rejecting Jesus, look what their response was. Verse 52, read that. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. Isn't that a strange thing? These people are rejecting the gospel at this point. They're talking about how the gospel is being rejected, and yet they just shake the dust off and go off with joy, filled with the Holy Ghost. Why? Because that's not my job. That's not your job. What are we filled with joy about? We've had the opportunity to preach the gospel. We've given them the opportunity to be saved. 
And that's it. That's all we can do. It's all you've been called to do. It's all you're going to be held responsible for doing. And don't let somebody who is a Christ-rejecting fool ruin your life and rob you of the joy of your salvation. Amen, amen. amen. We rejoice in God's salvation that we enjoy and in God's offer to save those who have completely rejected. In spite of that, He would have saved them. And our main concern is with those who have never heard. Amen? Amen. So we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper. We should be filled with joy in His Spirit as we rejoice in being saved from hell. So we're going to ask uh, Brother Brian and Darren, would you come forward? speak of the full payment that he provided that's pictured in the burnt offering in the Old Testament sacrifice as we break this as Jesus' body was broken for us to pay for the sins of the whole world and if you will believe on him, trusting in what he did to save you, you will be saved if you are saved, you can partake of this and we take a moment as they're passing the elements that you will get honest before God if there's something that is between you and God right now. Now is the time to be saved. Now is also the time to get right with God if you're saved and not right. Confess your sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then uh, we will take after the
Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 and 24, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. same manner also he took the cup when he had supped saying this cup is the new testament in my blood this do ye as oft as he drink it in remembrance of me Paul continues and says for as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup ye do show the Lord's death till he come Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, let's have a song as we uh, close before we go to uh, the meal. 423 in your hymn books. You can stand if you can. The theme, following the theme of our study in Acts, we have a story to tell to the nations. All four verses. Great King. 